the passage we're going over today is found in the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And it's quite a bit of verses. It's, uh, it's verses 14 through 30. And I was debating if I was going to apologize to you about that, because that's a lot of verses for you to sit through and for me to read. But I had a preaching professor say to me once, when I asked her, I said, how, you know, is there, how many verses is too many to read before you preach? And she said, well, Josh, do you ever feel like you've read too much of the Bible? Noted? All right, not too many verses. Uh, So anyway, we've got uh, chapter 3 in the book of Daniel, verses 14 through 30. And the reason I'm reading this much is the the passage that we're going over is is the passage of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, And it's a long story, but it's a really good story, and I didn't want anything to be lost in the context. So I want us to really look at as much of the full story as we can. Of course, the story is really the entire book of chapter 3, and I thought, we've got lunch soon, so I'll reduce it to these verses. So starting with verse uh, 14. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made, very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire, and what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire." For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, "'Was it not three men we cast and bound into the midst of the fire?' They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire, The satraps, prefects, and governors of the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies 
on the bodies of these men, nor was their hair or their feet singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tons that speak anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon." Well, if you know anything about uh, the book of Daniel, you'll know at the beginning of the book, we find out that the nation of Israel has been captured by the nation of Babylon. And, and it all really starts with Daniel and his three friends who are later have their names changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when they're brought into the nation of Babylon, they are told that they're going to be serving King Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't a choice. This isn't, you know, they didn't submit their resumes and ask, can we help out the king in any way? This was enslavement. And so when Daniel and his three friends go into the nation of Babylon, they are exiting their nation as sinners, and they're exiting their nation as disobedient to what God has commanded. This is why God has allowed Babylon to come in and take his people. This is a punishment. And so as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are put into enslavement, they're put into the king's service, what do you think they have in their mind as all of this is happening? We are not going to live that way again. Now, that's not to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever sinned or were ever disobedient to God, but it's that they were paying the price for what the nation had done, and that was they were disobedient. As often as God sent prophets in to tell the nation to be obedient, they were not, and God warned them, if you are not, you will receive discipline. And so as they're serving King Nebuchadnezzar, what's on their minds is we are not going to make that mistake to our country again. We're not going to allow our people to believe that it's okay in this moment to be disobedient. And so what the passage is really about here in chapter 3 is obedience to God and faithfulness in God. We are obedient to God because we believe that God watches over us. And not just that, we believe that when God tells us to do something, it's for our own good. We believe that when Jesus says to his disciples, love one another, we believe that's good. So when we're called to love one another, not just here in this church, but outside of this church in our community, that's for our own good. That's for our spiritual lives. So that call to obedience is a call to love. It's a call to let God work within us to serve one another. All right, so as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in this nation, King Nebuchadnezzar decides that he wants to set up a golden image that the entire nation will bow down to. And he sets up this image, and it's a large one, it's golden. This is what you might call the idol of idols. This is what the pagans would look up to. And this is King Nebuchadnezzar's way of saying, 
Uh, this is his way of saying this is our God and this is who we're going to put our trust in. And so he makes a decree. Not just does he build this thing and does he announce that this idol is going to be our new God and we're going to bow down to it. He actually commands that there be a time where the nation bow down to this idol and this nation give this idol reverence. And who do you think stands out in all of this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Jewish prisoners from the country that they just enslaved. Now, to King Nebuchadnezzar, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In his mind, hold on a minute, we enslaved you. You lost. All right, have you ever played a game with a sore loser? Isn't that the worst? And you know what the worst part of it is? You can't stop playing the game because the game is over. It's done. They're upset that they lost, and, and, and they say, oh, well, you cheated, or you didn't tell me all the rules. That just takes all the fun out of it. And that's sort of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are doing here is, is in King Nebuchadnezzar's minds, they're being sore losers. You know, listen, we enslaved you. We took over. In King Nebuchadnezzar's mind, the Jewish God is no longer the strongest God in the region. So he's a little confused as to what's happening there. But the Jewish people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are not going to let this go because of their faithfulness and their obedience to God. And so as we look through this passage here, I've got six points I want us to go through as to what it means to be obedient followers to God, what it means to be faithful to what he calls us to do. The first point I have here from this passage is being in the world is not the same as being of the world. So let's go back to where these three are at. They're in Babylon. They are serving a pagan god. This is not what, what God had called them into. They were forced into this administrative role where they're supposed to serve somebody that they don't want to. Is what they're doing wrong? Well, the answer is no. They're enslaved. They've got no choice. They're living in Babylon. They're, they're not going to try to escape. This is where God has exiled them to. But they decide we will not live like the Babylonians. And you actually see this throughout the book of Daniel. If you go back to the first chapter of Daniel, uh, they want Daniel and his friends to eat the food that the Babylonians eat, and they say up front, we're not eating that food. God has called us to eat different food, and if we starve to death, we starve to death. And then they end up receiving from God the strength from the food that they get, which is God's food, not the Babylonian food. So we see throughout the book of Daniel the resolve that, okay, I will live here. And we see in this passage, I'll live here, I'll serve you, Cain, but I'm not going to live like you. There's a difference. As Christians, we're called into a world that ultimately is different from our lives. It's ultimately different from the values that we hold as Christians. Now, if we wanted to, we could decide that we would divorce ourselves from society, never step foot outside, and only surround ourselves with the Christian community. What's wrong with that? How are you going to get more Christians? How are you going to tell people about the work that God has done in your life unless you're out in the world? Now, when you're out in the world, that doesn't mean you have to live like the world. 
I got my first dose of this when I was 14 years old and I decided to work at McDonald's. That was a wake-up call. You think public school is a wake-up call, go work with, you know, 20, 30, 40-year-olds that you've never met before. I grew up not just in a Christian household, I grew up in a pastor's household. I heard words at McDonald's I didn't know had been invented. Conversations were had that even if I wanted to delve in the middle of them, I wouldn't know what was being said at all. At 14 years old, I was surrounded by the world. And many of you might be in jobs like that. Many of you might be in schools like that. Many of you might be going to places like that where you're surrounded by the world. You're surrounded by words you didn't know were invented and discussions are being had. You wouldn't even know how to have those with them. And oftentimes what happens is when we're in those situations, we want to participate because nobody wants to be left out, right? Nobody wants to feel like they're the ones that are ostracized, but the call that we have from God is we're to be in the world, but we have to make sure that we're not going to be of the world. We've got to make sure that we're going to stay away from sinfulness and make sure we don't participate in it. We get this from Paul in Romans uh, 12.2 when he says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by God. This is our calling as Christians, to be in the world but not of the world. The second point we have from this passage is that our obedience and faithfulness to God will incur enemies. With Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I I can just imagine, and, and I don't quite know what that scene looked like. I don't know how many people were there There could have been hundreds, thousands. I don't even know if the number was said here, but all I know is that when all of this music played, everybody bowed down, and then here's three Jewish men standing there being disobedient to what the king commanded. You you talk about not going along with the crowd. These people stood out like a sore thumb. And that incurred some enemies because immediately there were people in that crowd that wanted to make it known to the king that he has three of his subjects who were blatantly disobedient to the command that he gave. That's going to happen in the world that we live in. Now, I don't know if these people wanted uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's jobs, Maybe they didn't like them from the outset. Or maybe when they saw somebody else being disobedient to the king, they had in their minds, this is wrong, I need to put a stop to it. But the reality is, when we're obedient and faithful to God, we're going to have people around us that won't like it. There are some people that will not enjoy that we speak the way we speak, that we proclaim the truth the way that we proclaim the truth. They may not like the message. In the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, Paul writes that many live as an enemy to the cross of Christ. There are many people that do not like what we believe in, but we're still called to live that way. We need to be ready to turn heads. Now, That doesn't mean that you go out and find enemies. Let's pause right there. 
We got to make sure that we're doing this with such love that we live above reproach. We live above what we say the world is living, and we have to make sure that we do our best that others would see the love that we have. But you know what? Sometimes people are still going to dislike us, people are still going to be our enemies. We need to be ready for that, not just for the disagreements, but possibly the slander and possibly the hurt that they want to cause in our lives. Point number three, we do not need to explain our obedience to God, only our hope. Now, well, let me explain. Uh, This one I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little tricky on, so bear with me as I walk through it, okay? So when, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are ratted out and the king comes down and he wants to speak to them, he approaches them and, and, and doesn't just ask them. If you notice, he's already made a statement that they're guilty. All right? Notice there's no like question of, hey, hey, I see you're not being a team player here. Is there a reason why? You know, there's no looking to resolve the situation. The king is approaching and he's saying, I know you didn't bow down. I know you were disobedient to me. You have one more chance. Explain to me why you've been disobedient. Now, in the tone that we read in the passage, was the king really wanting an explanation? (laughs) No. No, in fact, that's one of those moments that, you know, believe it or not, I've been yelled at in my life. I'm sure some of you have. There's a tone that some people approach you with where they ask you a question. Usually it's a question like, what's wrong with you? Don't answer that question. (laughs) Don't attempt to answer. Just remain silent. That's sort of what's going on in this passage. King Nebuchadnezzar is approaching them and he's saying to them, you have been disobedient. What on earth could you possibly be disobedient for? And notice the response that the three have. First of all, I, I want to point out when the three en- or when the enemies approach King Nebuchadnezzar, when they greet him, they say, "O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, King Most High." They're praising him. They're giving him glorious titles. When he approaches these disobedient service, they just say, "What do you want, Nebuchadnezzar?" That's sort of how they respond to him because they know he is not the King Most High. They know who the king most high is. But when they respond to him, I, just, I love the response they give. It's, it's bold. And they say to him, we actually don't need to give you a reason. So as much as King Nebuchadnezzar is asking that question, what's the matter with you? They're responding, you know the answer to that. You, you, know, you know what's wrong with us. We're not being disobedient to God. Well, we're going to run into those moments where people approach us in our Christian faith and they're going to have an immediate condemnation. They're going to have an immediate, uh, in their minds, they've already gone through the argument and we've lost. Let me put it that way. There are people that we're going to run into that do not want to hear the gospel. They do not want us to convert them. And they're going to try to pick fights with us in order to lure us into an argument. And what we're learning from this lesson is there are some times that we can step back and say, you know what? I don't need to owe you that explanation. This is what God has called me to do. This, this is the faithfulness that I'm demonstrating. 
But I want to make sure, this is why I tacked on that little part, we do need to explain our hope. Because if you look in 1 Peter chapter 3, that's something Peter says is, always be ready to give, a, give an account of the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. We must always be ready to give a reason. Why are you following Jesus Christ? Why are you so close to him? Be ready to explain that. Be ready to say, well, this is the day he met with me. This is the day he saved me. This is the faithfulness that he's had in my life. But there are going to be moments where people approach looking to pick an argument, and all you need to say is exactly that. My God has saved me. I don't need to explain any further. I'm being obedient to him. Point number four, we need to be willing to face anything, including death, in being obedient and faithful to God. So that's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were ready to face death. And in fact, they even said, first of all, I like how they point out, God can save us. I like how they point that out. God is able to save us from this fire. But even if he doesn't, we're willing to die on this hill. We're willing to die for our faithfulness to God. Now, we live in a different kind of society, thankfully, and, and, and we praise God for that, that we live in this country where we can be free religiously. And so we don't have to face that question of death when it comes to our faith. There are countries out there, though, that still face that. There are countries where there is still heavy persecution on the people that believe in God. In this society, thankfully, we don't have to face that. And so here's what I found Sometimes because we don't actually have that threat knocking on our door, we're really quick to say, that's right, I would die for God. I was at a youth event. This was back when I was in high school, and I remember it was probably, you know, the room was just filled with youth. And we had this passionate speaker up there, and he was talking about being willing to die for God. And man, that just, ooh, that, that got us going. And there was a moment in the service where he asked, if you're willing to die for God, stand up in your seat. Well, my goodness, I wasn't sitting down for that. I stood up in my seat. Everybody stood up in their seats. We are willing to die for God. And then he told us to sit back down, and then he got into his application of the message, and he told the youth, he said, when you guys get home, I want you to look at your parents, and I want you to ask, what chores can I do for you here today? Ugh, that was the feeling of the whole room. Everybody just groaned. And I remember the pastor said, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just stood and said you would face death for God. You can't go home and vacuum? And then he went on to talk about the importance that if we're willing to face death for God, we must be willing to live for God. Which means there's actually a lot of steps leading up to death for God that I don't know about you, but I struggle with wanting to skip over. And those steps are losing friends, people being upset with me. Those are hard things to face in your Christian life when you have people that are close to you and they find out just how closely you walk with Jesus and you can feel them move away. Sometimes you, you face uncertainty in a job that you're at because you want to be committed to the life of the church and they want you to be committed to the life of work. 
And you've got to step away from that. And you've got to be willing to say, you know what, if I'm willing to die for God, I'm willing to sacrifice these things in my life that are distracted me from him. That's really where the calling is at. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were saying, we're willing to face death for God. We're also willing to live for him and let others know that we live for him. Point number five. God works through our obedience. It's an awesome point in, in, in the passage where you know, King Nebuchadnezzar decides he is going to toss them into the fire and he's going to watch them burn. And, and this wasn't just for his satisfaction. This was supposed to be a testament to the whole nation. This is what happens when you disobey me. You're going to die a very bad death. And so he gets them into that furnace, and what happens in that moment? He sees the testimony that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave, which is God came to rescue them. And it's an awesome moment because, first, he doesn't believe that their God is even existent, and then if he is, he believes that their God, our God, is not going to save them. And then what does he see with his own eyes? He goes up and looks in the furnace and he says, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe he was bad at math. I don't know, because he just saw three, like he knew there were three in front of him. And he knew three went into the fire. But I love how he looks back and asks, am I missing something here? We tossed three people into the furnace, correct? And they say, yeah, it was three people. And he says, well, I see four people walking around. I see the three that we've tossed in, but now I see a fourth. And he's, he's blazing like a son of the gods. Now, the translation there, a son of the gods, we're, we're not quite sure how to translate that. In some passages, you might have the son of God. I think other passages will say the son of the angels. Here's the point. When Nebuchadnezzar sees that fourth person there in the fire, he knows that person was from God. And he knows that person is not one of his gods. He sees the blaze, he sees this fourth figure walking around, and that's when he realizes God is with them. God is demonstrating his faithfulness through the faithfulness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You will be amazed at the way God wants to work through you when you're being faithful to him, regardless of who's watching. And you would be amazed the number of people that years later are able to say, you know, I saw you do that. I, I saw you living that faithfully, and it just meant something to me. People are always watching. People are always looking. Even if you think nobody's watching you, somebody's out there watching you. God can work through your faithfulness, and others can see it. Which leads to this last point here, point number six, and, and this is the big point. If you're just now waking up and you didn't get anything else out of this message, this is the point of the whole message. I want us to listen to it. Obedience can invite conversion. I want to say that one more time. People seeing our faithfulness to God can be an invite for them to become faithful to God. 
Like I said, people are always watching you. People will see God working through you. And what happened in this passage is Nebuchadnezzar sees this fourth figure and, and he, call, <laughs> he calls for all of them, come out of the fire. And when they come out, I love how God rescued them. It wasn't just that their trousers, their cloak, their cap, it's not just that none of that was singed. It says it didn't even smell like smoke. Uh, summertime is coming up. And I don't know about you guys, we love to have campfires outside. And what happens every time you have a campfire? You smell like just, you smell like you've been rolling around in the campfire. And when the three walk out, Nebuchadnezzar notices it's not even that your clothing isn't singed, you don't even smell like you've been in a fire. And from there, he makes a proclamation. Now, we don't know if, if King Nebuchadnezzar actually had a conversion or not. In fact, as we look through the book of Daniel, he's, he's not a good king. He waffles. God gives him plenty of chances to turn to him. But what we do know in this moment is somebody recognized what God was doing in their lives, and he made a proclamation as to who God was. In our lives, in our Christian life, as we go out into the world, we're going to be living this way, this kind of faithfulness, where we turn heads, we incur enemies, we give up and sacrifice some parts of our life in order to follow God. We may even face death in order to follow God, but that faithfulness that we demonstrate, God works through, God is able to convert. One of the most amazing stories I think I've heard is about the missionaries that went down to Ecuador, led first by Jim Elliott. If you know anything about the story, Jim Elliott was a, was a strong believer, a strong missionary, and he had his heart set on reaching this uh, unreached tribe in Ecuador. And, and if, if you don't know the story, I really encourage you, there's a movie they made about it, End of the Spear. It's a wonderful movie where, where they show how Jim Elliott had put together all of this work that he was going to reach the unreached people. And when they landed within minutes, the tribe that they were trying to reach killed them. They were willing to die in order to lead this tribe to Jesus, and they didn't even have a chance to speak to them. But the mission wasn't over. If you know the story, you know that his wife, sorry, <laughs> his wife Elizabeth, she began to feel called and decided she was going to pick up where he left off. And what you actually find in the story is not only was she able to land, she brought her family with them. And when they landed, were able to make contact, were able to explain, hey, the people that you just killed, that was my husband but it's worth it. And actually, after decades of being with the tribe, the, the family and the missions team has finally been able to step back and allow that tribe to be its own community and to begin to reach communities around them for Jesus Christ. That's why we're faithful. That's why we're obedient to God. Not just because he will save us if we're obedient. We could die in all of this. But it's because when we're obedient and faithful, others notice it. And that's an invitation to bring them along in the Christian faith. Let's pray. God, we thank you for 
the life that you've called us into. We thank you for uh, the opportunities that we have as we go out into the workplace, as we go out into our schools, as we go out into our community. We thank you for these opportunities that we can be obedient and faithful followers of you. And so, Lord, what we pray for is, is for those opportunities to abound each and every day. That even if we don't have the words to say, we know you can give us those words. So we pray for this as we leave this place, that it would be a time that we can uh, share the gospel with others through our actions, through our words, and lead others to who you are. Amen.